Do you remember your handshaking at any point? Yeah. Patient is RSI'd via cricotherotomy. Repeat, he has been criked. Welcome to Medic Mindset. This is Ginger Locke, and I'm working to make the podcast I wish existed when I started poking around in the world of EMS podcast. The ingredients I tossed into this experiment are humility and humor and introspection. And the guests come to this encounter with one thing in mind. They want to share their experiences, good and bad, so you can grow from them. And from the intro teasers, you may have figured out what this one's about. I'm thrilled to have caught up with a medic who was willing to share his experience of performing a surgical airway. Unlike other episodes, this is a detailed account of that one call. He was tough to round up. We literally met at a dive coffee shop on the side of the road. So listen in as his story takes center stage despite planes, trains, and automobiles literally going by. We're both having our coffee. Yours looks like tea, though. What kind of tea are you drinking? Mint. Mint tea. I've had enough caffeine to kill a horse today, so... Yeah, mine is decaf, so... <laughs> I'm lucky to have caught you because uh, you're just in town for a bit, and I'm happy to be face-to-face with you and... Um, talk through something I've wanted to talk with you about for a very long time, and it's finally gotten a chance to round you up. So this guest had an opportunity to do a very low-frequency, high-acuity skill. He did a surgical cricothyrotomy, and um, I know nothing about the case. So I'm hoping to kind of hear the the setup of the case, what was the indication for the procedure. Um, I really want to pick into, if you can remember, your thought process during it and feelings of hesitation or nervousness obviously everybody would be interested in the patient outcome but in particular I want to pick through just kind of your mindset as you were going through the procedure we talk a lot about these procedures that that the hardest part is pulling the trigger to actually do them but I think this procedure is actually the procedure itself is difficult or can be challenging Um, so talk to me about it the procedure isn't as far as level of difficulty wasn't any more difficult than being taught it in the program the instructors that showed us that skill that day or in, in school or this is how you do it, this is what you do. The surgical crate kit that we were shown in school was the exact same kit that we had on the ambulance. When it came time to, to perform the skill, I reverted right back to being taught the skill. Hmm. Okay. Just well, worked. Good. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the indication, what was going on with the patient that you elected to do this? It was a a structure fire call. Hmm. My partner and I arrived on scene and were able to identify a patient, the patient that we got into the back of the ambulance with. uh, uh, He was burned. We field-guessed it at uh, 80 to 90 percent second and third. Hmm. It was verified by the hospital at 90 percent third degree. We got him into the back of the ambulance patient walked to the ambulance. Oh, wow. And neither my partner and I realized how badly injured he was until he was walking past us. And it was, we both just had that look of, oh, crap. And game on. Start going to work. I was able to keep him calm, establish IV access. The one part of his skin on his arm that didn't slough was his AC got the IV, started administering pain meds, and moved forward from there. Uh, my partner and I both identified uh, 
the typical raspy, raspy voice of raspy voice of someone that had had you know high temp inhalation, you know, airway burns, and we just we together made the call to to RSI. And to set the stage, was this partner paramedic level provider? Yes. On that day, how many years experience did you have, and did he have? I had been, I'd say, three years experience Mm -hmm. for myself and for him probably three, two or three years. Okay. Having the the dual paramedic on the truck is, it, I'll say it helped a lot on that day because it was a, we both looked at each other, we both simultaneously recognized the problem and what we had to do. Before I was able to say, hey, let's do this, I already had my RSI drug sliding across the countertop to mm-hmm. me to, to be drawn up. And I started working on med dosing and my partner started working for the intubation, started working getting you know, the, the ET tube ready and the, and the laryngoscope and, you know, working towards getting set on his end. And as I administered the drugs, we administered them, waited a second and he went for the attempt Due to positioning of like where we were sitting in the ambulance during this during the the skill process of uh, RSI and the patient, it was just easier for me to assess breath sounds and epigastric sounds, and I noted I noted that you know he heard a gurgle over his belly and there was nothing mm-hmm. in his lungs, so it went for a second attempt, same outcome. Can and I back up to when you guys sedated and paralyzed the patient? Did you tell them what you were doing, or did did he start yes. declining in front of you, or? Uh, or was he awake enough for you to say, hey, this is what's going to happen? He, w- he was awake enough for us. When he got into the ambulance, he was like, he, he would, it hurts, man, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, dude, don't worry. We're going to get you out of pain. Started administering pain meds. Asked him about his breathing status. And, you know, he answered the question that you, no one wants to hear, which is, is it getting a little bit more difficult to breathe? And he said yes. And that's where it was a, you know, snap of the fingers. Okay, we got to roll. Being taught in the, the paramedic program, you know that airways decline rapidly. We didn't want to take any time. Yeah. And we told him, "You're going to take a nap." And we just started administering the administering the medications and moved from the initial pain med dose that we were trying to help him with to the RSI drugs mm-hmm. to doing the intubation. After two attempts by my partner, we were able to round up a firefighter rider with us. So you're sitting still at this point? You, yeah, haven't, you haven't rolled? The first two intubation attempts were done sitting still. I made the call to my partner to you know get in the front. I knew best possible outcome I needed to get him to, to the burn center. And so walking into this call, you knew it was your patient? Were you no. guys standby at a, a structure fire? Or uh, we were initially called in. It came out as a all-alarm. Uh, they pulled in. I think there was four fire trucks. And then our ambulance was the first in. Okay. The second ambulance was on its way up, and we made patient contact. We said, we have patient contact. We, we requested a second unit. The second unit made patient contact immediately also with one of the, the individual's friends, and they were working on that individual in the back of their ambulance. Okay, so to go, go back to the, the question, I think I interrupted you when I was uh, asking if this was... You knew this that you were up for the next patient, or how did y'all decide who was going to care for this patient? It was a matter of uh, where I was sitting. Okay, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> sure. We we hadn't had a uh, extravagantly busy night. We just it was like you know, I'm here. Let's do it. 
Okay. You know, and it, what it was was uh, our system has a, you know, you get two attempts and someone else. Right. And because my partner had done two attempts, it, I was going to move up and, and try to go for the try to go for the tube. He got in the front. He started driving. I went for the third attempt to, of intubating the patient. And as I go in for the for that third attempt, I watched the airway start to close. Yeah. And when I saw that, it was like, oh, um, you know, explicit words were flying around the back of the ambulance like yeah. water. And uh, you had a firefighter back there with you. Yeah, I had a I had a, a firefighter with me. I just I don't know. I guess you guy could call it instinct. I, I knew I know the layout of my ambulance, and I, my hand went back. I grabbed my crate kit, brought it down forward, and started opening the crate kit and again it would i was lucky to have the same crate kit i had been taught in school and i just reverted right back to what i was taught in in school the only difference is that when we were taught in school we were taught to you know position yourself at the patient's feet use a downward angle well you were at the head i was at the head and i went i still did everything the same direction Mm -hmm. and i was surprised at the minimal amount of bleeding yeah i was I was starting to put it together that maybe with those burns, it maybe had been third-degree burns. It may just not have bled. It had been leatherized. Uh, he was sloughing pretty well. It wasn't full full thickness burn. As far as bleeding, maybe maybe five, ten milliliters. That's it. I mean, it's very minimal. You know, finding the landmark was easy because he, he wasn't a, a very very thick-bodied person. He was a frail person. So what landmark did you go looking for first? Went for the Adam's apple, found yeah. the found the cricoid the cricoid cartilage. Went for the notch for yeah. the, you know the membrane. And once I had everything lined up, you know, cleaned the cleaned the site, made the first ins- the first you know, vertical to sit and you know mm-hmm. head to toe. I call it north south. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's like um, he was laying down. So um, <laughs> uh, so you know the the vertical incision that you do again. I was I was just I was expecting more blood. Punctured the membrane. So and did it take? You're using a scalpel. Mm-hmm. Did it take more than one incision? Uh, if I remember correctly, I did two passes. Uh-huh. I did one to get through the epidermis, and then yep. there was a very thin sub-Q layer that yeah. I went through, and then I could I could clearly see the cricoid cartilage mm-hmm. and the membrane, and just punctured it through. The, the puncture that you made was that more east-west, if you will. Yeah, horizontal. Yeah. Okay. And it was a you know the the puncture of the membrane east-west, and then. The, the crate kit that we use has the little hook piece to it. I remember the instructor that was that showed me the skill telling me, you're never going to use this. Uh-huh. We didn't use it at school. Yeah. <laughs> and I I used my pinky, and, and then I flipped the scalpel around and used the butt into the scalpel to maintain patency of the, the hole that I just made. I grabbed the, the trach and just dropped it in and was yeah. able to secure it. The, so y'all had a trach. I wanted to ask what size ET tube you had used, but you had something commercial device. A commercial device, yeah. It would it would be the equivalent of about a size six. I mean, cuffed, it, it was, uh, cuffed, yeah. Um, and it, you know, it has a little stylet in it, and you put it in, you pull the stylet out, and the firefighter that was I was with, very skilled firefighter, knows his job. He's patched at the basic level. He knows get the bag, get get it on, and he knows he knew exactly what to do. Uh, as far as his rate, his depth, yeah. and I was able to have him secure the airway. Once I had it established, I was able to have him secure it while I was mm-hmm. monkeying around with the, the the shrink wrap that they had put on the ties. I 
I couldn't because of the blood and the the the, the fluid on my hands from yeah. the bodily fluid on my hands. I couldn't pull it off, and so this is like a wrapper you're like, trying to get off, like or? a like a shrink wrap. Interesting. Like it's like they balled up the the end of the cord and shrink wrapped it, and huh. I couldn't pull it off. My fingers kept slipping off, and so mm-hmm. I had to resort to using my my pocket knife to oh, to take the to take the plastic wrap off so I could secure the tube. So. And the securing device was like something that wraps around shoelace, or? yeah, for lack of better terms, right. shoelace. Okay. Do you remember your hand shaking at any point? Yeah. It was a once. Once I did it, once I completed the skill and had it secured, it, the real the realization of you know what the hell I just did, yeah, you know, hit me. I was like, oh, okay. And my partner, who's now tearing towards the hospital, I. I don't, to this day, I don't know why I said it, but I, you know, I yelled to my partner and said, "We, you know, we're we're cracked." And once the call was over and done with, he was like, "I felt my rectum hit my throat," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time that um, we had a rider. We had the guy's wife with us, and I didn't realize that. Front or back? Front. Okay. It was absolute perfect scenario. She stayed when i i stuck my head up and i said hey look i'm the one caring for your husband i asked her you know when we get to the hospital i need you to stay in the ambulance and let us work i will come back out and get you right and i was that was a smart move i was blown away that she stayed in the ambulance yeah people just need direction i've never had any any other patient listen to me like that yeah so it really floored me but we readministered uh sedatives and pain meds and how long of a transport where we were to the hospital i I would say a normal normal day non-code three driving would be the 40 minute transport calling in the report was probably the the calmest report i've ever given i've done cardiac arrests and been just worked up beyond belief calling in a report you know especially when i was brand new this report was okay i've got to get my information across concise clear tell them what is coming to them. Do you remember what you said? I explained to them uh, who I, I... I have a thing. I always tell them who I am. Okay. You know, and I, I tell them who I am, from what agency, what unit. This is what I'm bringing you. And it was, you know, I told them to bring you a male that has been involved in a structure fire. We've got burns to you know, 90% of his body. Patient is RSI via cricothyroidomy. Repeat. He has been criked. I do remember that earlier in the call, in the time it took to try and intubate him, to let's get going, to when I sat down to try to do the third attempt at intubation, I noted that he had started spontaneously breathing. We had to administer the second paralytic to keep him down to do the skill. So when you say 80 to, 80 to 90% burned, I, I think about that's got to be circumferential chest. Is that true? He... He was burned circumferential chest, arms, legs. I mean, there was patches of non-burned. Yeah. I mean, we field guessed it at eighty to ninety. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the doctors confirmed ninety. Wow. Um, and and it was confirmed at third degree, uh, third degree burns mm-hmm. throughout. There wasn't no second and third degree. The doctor was like, no, that's all third degree. We had established fluid uh, administration using Parkland burn formula with the amount of burn. It was just a matter of, you know, hook up a bag and yeah. let it go. Oh, yeah, for sure. And covered him up with burn sheets and mm-hmm. 
you know, when we got to the hospital, it was, I mean, I've gone into our, our, our local level one trauma center and been fairly impressed. You go in, you have, you know, five people in the room rolling into a burn center like that and having 20 people in the room was what the hell you know? yeah yeah <laughs> I, mean, I i just and I, I remembered one of my instructors saying if when you give your report when you go to this hospital speaking about our, our level one trauma center you let your partner and the nurses get them off the stretcher you stand back and you talk loud and if they don't hear you at the end of the hallway you're not doing it loud enough and that's what i did it was an interesting it's a good way of putting it, an interesting call it you know I look back and it's, it's, and, you know, when they've, I've been asked, you know, why did you do that? I said, I had very few options. I had do nothing and let him die. I had perform the skill, mess it up and let him die. Or I had perform the skill, perform it right and hopefully save him. That's right. It's, you don't have very many options at that. You know, and we do, and I I say we, but I've, I've not done a surgical Craig, but I've seen patients come in with these types of high acuity, low frequency skills. And so many medics and emergency physicians say, um, you can go your whole career never doing this. And I've heard that multiple times. I think it's a dangerous mindset because you need to be prepared to do it. And it, sometimes people think because it doesn't happen often, they think maybe it did, didn't need to happen. Did you get any response of like, ah, he didn't need to do that? or No, no. I, I delivered my patient to the burn center immediately upon saying look here's my report i went out got my got the patient's wife i took her to the waiting room and i introduced her to the doctor and to the they had they they had the chaplain out already because of the severity of the gentleman's injuries yeah um i was getting signatures on my run report and as i went to leave i remembered that i forgot to get a signature from his from his spouse went back in to get the signature as I was walking back out an individual that worked at the hospital stopped me and said hey the doctor wants to talk to you mm-hmm. the question of did you did you get any flack for doing the skill I, I immediately went in the back of my head go oh crap here goes my career here goes my job I messed it up I did something wrong he walked me over to the doctor and I don't know a word to describe how I felt when the, the doctor walked up extended his hand introduced himself and it said strong work not what i was expecting i yeah. was expecting like dude why did you do that you right. didn't need it you, you know you could have intubated him you know and and it was 180 of what i was expecting to hear out of this doctor's mouth and i was just like blown blown off my rocker the level of professionalism mm-hmm. in those few words told me that yeah i did it right yeah i did the skill i, I did what i had to do for my patient mm-hmm. so i'm glad that he did that yeah. And that's a so that's a I. message to paramedics. We are leaders also. So when we get patients handed off to us, it is important to take that second to tell people they've done a good job. Because everybody's kind of wondering, am I doing okay? <laughs> or the, the bystander that yes. pulls the individual out of a car to... Perfect example. You know, and then says, was I right in doing it? It's like, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. you felt you needed to do something? You did right. Right. The reality uh, slowly took hold of the call and you know started getting feedback through social media mm-hmm. on the individual and started following on social media and you know following his his uh, recovery got a text from my partner that he was also following and he said well our guy just passed 
I mean, it was like we were you know, following along, you know, like, wow, man, this guy's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's 30 days in, 40 days in, oh, wow. 50 days in, 60 days in. And on day 66, he he's succumbed. I say his batteries just died. Yeah. His batteries wore out. He couldn't go anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's the, there's the part of you after your patient dies that, you know, did I do the right thing? Did I truly help him? And I wonder if he was talking in those 66 days. He, according to what I read and what we were told, he was able to start humming. There were points where they had him off sedation to the point where he was able to look around the room, from what mm-hmm. I understand. Never, I never went to the hospital to, to do a follow-up. I, yeah. I relied. It was, it was one of the, it's not my place. You know, it, it's, you know, if I, if I run a call and, you know, my patient's still in the ER when I do my next return, yeah, I'll stop in the room and say, hey, how you doing? You know, are you feeling better? But I didn't feel it was my place to go down and, you know, keep asking. So I just followed along on social media and, yeah, you know, kept, kept up with it in that, in that manner. Good work. Definitely, uh the single most interesting skill I've done in my four plus years now. Anything about the call that, uh, that still bugs you? No. I love that. No, I, that makes me happy for you. People, people always say, Oh man, do you have dreams? Do you have nightmares? Do you have, do you have, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't, it's, it's, you know, knowing that I did right by my patient Mm -hmm. and knowing that if I hadn't done it, it would have been a totally different outcome was, it's all I needed. You know, you can't be afraid to do your job in a, in a case like that. Mm-hmm. Because something that serious, if you are afraid to do your job, you're, you're not acting on the patient's behalf at that point. Your number one job is to act on the patient's behalf, and no matter the situation. So. I think a lot of people on that call, they hesitate, and they hesitate all the way to the hospital, and they monkey around in the orotranquial world, and they don't get it done. And that's just the, that's the reality. Um, and so... Your mindset was, I'm going to get an airway. Moving from trying to intubate to going for a surgical crike was solely on watching the airway close. It was, oh, crap. And instinct took... Was it swelling? It, it was swelling. It, he, it was... I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was like watching someone squeeze a, a garden hose. It was just, I mean, it just... Mm-hmm. shrunk down right around I mean and it was, it was surreal because you know the, you know, going through school and you know, the way that we were it was all explained and you're you're gonna hear raspy voice you're gonna you're gonna hear strider you're gonna yeah, and when you are intubating if you don't get the tube and you're watching it you can actually watch the airway you know close and then being able to see that firsthand. Yeah, everything you read in the books about the airway swelling and closing off—they're not—they're not writing a fictitious story in those books. That's exactly what it looks like. Did he have facial burns? Yeah, his facial hair was burned, and it's, it was weird that you know he was so badly injured that you know I mistook his skin color. Two things. One, any advice about the procedure? The way you did it is the way it's recommended. You 
with the exception of being at the patient's head versus yeah. the foot. That's the one thing I will say that, yes, I know I was at the wrong end of the patient. You know, again, when you're in the back of an ambulance and... You did it in route. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to digest that for a minute. I, I, I was told by one of my coworkers who is a very, very skilled and, in my book, a very well-respected paramedic. He's been doing it a long time. We were talking about the call, and he looked at me and said, I would have pulled over. I, yeah. He goes, we, same thing. The person said, you, wait a minute, you did it in route? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, this, this individual chimed in and said, I, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I, would, I, I wouldn't have done it in route because the relationship I have with this individual, of, you know, is, you know, snip back and forth. Like everyone has that individual that they like to give crap to. Right. When he said that, I snap. I just snipped right back. I said, "Well, it got done." Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> the thought process of saying, "Hey, pull over," right? It, that never, that one thing never entered my, mm-hmm. never entered my mind. Had you, I, ever, I, had you ever cut through someone's skin before with a scalpel? No, but I'm a fairly avid outdoorsman, mm-hmm. fisherman. You know, I hunt. Blood has never bothered me. Well, blood doesn't bother many paramedics, but cutting through skin bothers people, I think. Yeah. It, but maybe you're fishing and things like that. It, 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 it didn't feel any different. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel any different. Right. It's, I think it, that's an important piece of your story is that you're handy with knives. I, mean, I don't even think the fact of handy with knives is just having the experience of, of cutting you know, flesh. Have you cut animals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I think that's important. Uh, yeah. I just... Did it? I, for lack of better, for lack of better words, yeah, I just did it. Get your mic a little closer. Oh. <laughs> First time with a mic in my face. Uh. <laughs> hey guys, one last little bit before you go. I've got to direct you to the show notes on this one. Go to medicmindset.com. Look for episode seven. I have linked to a video that you should not miss. It is of a uh, emergency cricothyrotomy. You get can get a sense of how much blood is really involved uh, in the process. That video will probably help you uh, prepare for it. So you shouldn't miss it. Check it out. So. Picking up the train. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>